Welcome to episode 23 of the Ask Achieve show where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today we'll be covering barefoot training, improving ankle mobility, how to gain mass and muscle, and what we continue to learn every day as coaches and business owners. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. What's up, achievers? Hey, everybody! I, I, I keep stumbling every single time because the, uh, the, the the show name changed from achieving fitness to ask achieve, and I'm like, uh, achieve, ask, ask us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the intro gets a little botched sometimes, but we're getting used to it. Yeah, episode yeah. twenty three though. Woo-hoo. Michael Jordan. Oh yeah. yeah, I was wondering. I don't have. I twenty two is my favorite number, but I didn't really have anything to say about twenty three. Mm. But Michael Jordan, that's a pretty good number. Yeah, pretty right. good person to have. Sponsoring our podcast today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Should we get right into the questions? Yes. Excellent. So we are going to start with a question from Jenna, Jen UA, Jen UA, Jen Nua, J-E-N-N-U-A. They asked uh, two questions, actually. We're going to answer both. The first one was, why has everyone started taking their shoes off when lifting at my gym with the inquisitive (laughs) emoji face? (laughs) Um, so this has kind of like become um, more of a popular thing these days. I think a lot of it has to do with that book, Born to Run. Um, and that's where um, uh, the author, Christopher McDougall, he started studying, um, I forget what sort of tribe It was a population was. that, yeah, that ran without yeah. shoes. Yeah, <laughs> and they ran for a long periods of time, very quickly, uh, without shoes, or, or at least very minimal shoes, and... Vibram five fingers started getting popular. Um, but anyway, when you lift with shoes on, it's almost like it's almost like putting gloves on your hands and trying to feel your way around the room. It really clouds your foot's natural ability to root into the floor and really stabilize. So if you put a big shoe like a Brooks Beast or some other motion stabilizing shoe on your foot while you're lifting, it's really um, negating a lot of your body's natural ability to um, stabilize. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's even worse than putting, like, gloves in your hands. Think about putting, like, a baseball mitt on your hands. And then trying to cook or trying to do, like, all the things that you need your hand dexterity for. Mm -hmm. Like, your feet can can participate that much in your lifting if you allow them to um, and can have a really big effect on your, like, how you stabilize and how you um, balance and everything like that. But if you're, if you have this big clunky shoe on like covering that ability to do so, it's really going to actually take away a lot of the um, stability and a lot of the balance that you could naturally work on or have. Yeah, your your feet have a lot of just sensory input in towards your body. And so um, what we recommend is wearing things like um, just like flat sole shoes. So we like Chucks. Um, we like Vans. Uh, we also like more minimal athletic shoes like a New Balance Minimus or... Um, uh, strike movements we like, no bulls we like. Vivo barefoot. Vivo barefoot. Um, for an even more minimal approach, we like pedestal footwear socks. Um, and we also like Vibram Five Fingers as well. So kind of like whatever out of those suits your fancy in terms of lifting, um, we recommend you to use it because it'll help you to stabilize better um, for your single leg ex- exercises. And it also helps you to really push into the floor better. Um, during deadlifts and squats just really helps you to root into the floor yeah um and we we still like just from a sanitation standpoint like even though people's Mm -hmm. feet aren't really that dirty like people just have this 
aversion to people being bare feet. So yeah. we still recommend that somebody, if they want to train barefoot, they still, we just recommend that they wear pedestal footwear, mm-hmm. um, socks because they're, it's essentially lifting in socks, but they have a little bit of grip on the bottom. So they, you don't like feel like you're sliding around. Um, and they're, they're super comfortable and you can wear them multiple times without washing them. So you can actually go th- like three or four workouts, um, yeah. with that same pair. So yeah, we would definitely recommend that. And especially for anything like Jason said, like deadlifts or squats and, and also single leg, uh, exercises like a single leg deadlift or a lunge where you have to really stabilize on that one foot, having your whole foot be able to be in touch with the ground really helps. Yeah, totally. Cool. All right. And then the second question from the same person is, can you train the same muscles two days in a row if you're not lifting until fa- failure? Um, yeah, I would say absolutely. Yes. I mean, definitely listen to your body. And if you're too sore to move your legs and going up and down stairs is difficult, you probably don't want to lift lower body or legs again. But um, the majority of our members that achieve all do total body lifting and a lot of them come back to back days. So, um, it just would be not beneficial to not train them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the more you train your body to sort of adapt to that sort of situation, the better it can, um, accommodate that, um, adaptation. Yeah. So we wouldn't recommend doing like the same workout two days in a row. So we wouldn't say if you did Hmm. like, uh, if your workout was squats and uh, pull-ups and lunges and overhead presses on the first day, the next day, don't come in and do the same workout, but you could come in and do a single leg squat and mm. a bent over row and a bench press and yeah. something else. So like you're still working the same similar muscles, but not doing the exact same um, exercise just because number one, you may be sore from that exercise from the day before. So it might just not be effective on day two. And number two, you just want to, you should be changing up your routine, um, throughout the week. So you'll have a greater effect if you do different exercises that also incorporate different muscles. Yeah. Makes sense. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, we're just flying through these questions. So, uh, question number three, but coming from person number two is from Emily Benthian. She said, Hey, love the content and encouragement on your page. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I have very poor ankle mobility and have begun working on some exercises and stretches. However, I want to know how to still work toward my goals without it limiting me. And also, how long does it normally take to increase mobility? I know it's probably difficult to say with there being a lot of pot- other potential factors. Just wanting to know what I should shoot for. Thanks so much. You guys are awesome. Oh, what a positive <laughs> message. Just like a, that was a compliment sandwich right there. <laughs> um, all right, Emily. So... Yeah, a lot of people get caught up in, in terms of, especially with like corrective exercise stuff, like you hear things like, oh, you, you have poor ankle mobility, so you shouldn't squat. And people get into this place where they start to only do prehabby, rehabby type of exercises, and that makes up the majority of their program. And you definitely don't want to get caught up doing 45 minutes of stretching and foam rolling and mobility work, um, and then doing like 10 to 15 minutes of strength work. You can still get plenty of strength by working around uh, whatever limitations that you might have while also still working to improve those directly. So someone, let's say, let's say someone has really bad ankle mobility um, achieve as a member. What we'll do is we'll obviously incorporate a lot of ankle mobility drills into their warmup, but also we have no issues with them squatting with their heels slightly elevated um, uh, on like five pound plates, let's say. So we still get a strong leg training effect, a lower body training effect um, by keeping in squats. But then maybe we might pair that with an ankle mobility drill. So hopefully over time, those two points meet. The mobility meets and then the um, squatting meets as well. So hopefully 
they'll still be able to maintain a good training effect even while we're working on their mobility. Yeah, so it's basically meet yourself where you're at so that you can continue to train while working on whatever that limitation is. So if ankles, that's the exact recommendation we would we would give. Um, if somebody has like uh, some shoulder mobility issues where they can't mm. quite go overhead, we're going to start with things that are uh, a little bit more accessible to them, like a bench press or dumbbell bench press or something where they're only pressing to horizontal. And then maybe we'll increase it to... Uh, an angled press with a barbell that's angled and angle it up a little bit. So they're starting to work on that range of motion, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't just push through and try to go in right into an overhead press. If they have a limitation there, we're going to work on other patterns of pressing while working on their overhead mobility in their warm up and in their, we like to also incorporate, incorporate, mobility exercises into like rest periods. So if you have like a heavy, if you're doing a heavy squat, then you can, to rest in between sets, you can work on a shoulder mobility drill. So it's like an active rest. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Going back to your overhead one, like, so we might pair um, an angled barbell press. Um, So I think some people call it a landmine, um, but we prefer to call it angled barbell. But we might pair that with an overhead mobility drill, like a, maybe like a, a wall slide or maybe like a stability ball dead bug where the person's lying on their back with a stability ball between their arms and their knees. And then from there, they lower down opposite arm and leg down to the floor. That way, they're actively getting good core stability along with some good overhead range of motion as well as hip extension as well. So it kind of like hits all three of those. And then we sandwich that with the angled barbell um, to to help get a pressing training effect, but without um, pursuing an overhead, complete overhead movement. Um, And then she also said, how long does it take to increase mobility? I know it's probably difficult to say. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to say. (laughs) It depends on like, let's say you, you may have had a previous like history of ankle sprains and there might be a lot of scar tissue built up in there and there might be, you know, just a lot of stuff going on in there. So we can't really tell for sure. The only thing that we can say is that you can't really overdo ankle mobility. So I would try to recommend doing it twice a day, um, daily as, yeah. as much as possible and see how that works out for the next three, four weeks or so. And if there's like no budge in ankle mobility, then maybe it might be good to see a physical therapist and they can do things like traction and some other sort of manipulations to your ankle to sort of expedite the process especially if there is scar tissue built up. Um, or but, even a good massage therapist, like sports ma- massage therapist. If yeah, you totally. need some soft tissue work, because sometimes it's not uh, it's not that your joint is immobile, it's that you just have soft tissue uh, buildup that just needs to be released. So that yeah, could be, it could be your calf, your Achilles. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah definitely, definitely seek out um, some additional help if your efforts aren't um, helping. Yeah, but it is something that you have to do every day. Yeah, multiple times a day, and a lot of people, I think, just put it in like just in one section of their warm up, and they may work out three times a week. Yeah, and so you're only hitting that three times a week for maybe like a minute or two. It's just not going to be quite enough to to really make that adaptation happen. So if you're really serious about it, you really want to try to make it better. Try to do it every day. Yeah, and I think also people can get into this habit of if they do it every day, every day they start off doing it really diligently and mindfully. And then over time, it becomes sort of a chore and they just kind of rush through it. So just make sure that even a couple of weeks from now, you're really slowly going through the motion, but not going through the motions, just slowly, carefully going through the motion <laughs> <laughs> and not just rushing it just to check the box that you've done your ankle mobility for that day. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. Hopefully that helps. Cool. All right. And then question number four comes from HTCon21. And she said, another compliment. First first of all, I love all the content you guys are putting out there. I love the IG posts with cues for proper form. And I'm just getting into your podcast now. Uh, I caught the last one on fat loss and was wondering if you had any tips for gaining weight and muscle mass. According to my Fitbit, I'm consistently expending more calories than I'm consuming. Any advice on how I can eat more and what I should be eating? Should I even be trying to force myself to eat more? Thanks so much, Hira. Um, Okay, so this is... um, This is a great question, and I guess my first, when she asked, should I even be trying to eat more, Um, it just makes me wonder if she wants to gain mass and muscle because she wants to or because she thinks her Fitbit is telling her to. That would be two different Hmm. things, right? So, I mean, a Fitbit is great. I think we think, like, anything that helps you to track and motivate you can be great. They also have a lot of limitations in terms of what they can really truly tell you. Um, There's also limitations in terms of what you can, um, how accurately you can enter in how many calories you're getting in. So if your Fitbit is telling you that you're expending more calories than you're consuming, I wouldn't take that as 100% accurate. Um, But if you are noticing that you're not gaining weight and you want to, then we would have this discussion a little bit more seriously. So I hope yeah. that makes sense. Um, and so hopefully I'm, I'm going to go with the idea that she's asking that, like, I want to gain mass and looking to gain muscle and gain weight. So how can I go about doing that? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so I just want to clarify, like, just because a, a device tells you something, don't take that as like, yeah, definitely you have to do it. It All might right. just be, um, it could just be the device. Okay, so in terms of, of uh, mass gain, it actually, you can almost just like listen to our podcast last week and do everything the opposite. <laughs> um, not really, because, so that's a lie. Uh, in terms of like how fast you eat and what types of foods you eat, um, that's what I'm talking about. So with with food types, the first part of that fat loss um, podcast was talking about what types of carbohydrates, what types of proteins, and what types of fats you want to be getting into your diet, that all stays the same. Um, You want to be getting good quality foods in your diet, even if you're trying to gain mass. You still want that to happen from good quality foods. You're just going to have to eat more of them, and you might have to focus more on some of the calorie-dense options. So in the fats category, it's easy to do um, because fats actually have more calories per, like, amount of food so Mm -hmm. they're like if you have um a whole avocado it's like 300 calories right there if you have two tablespoons of peanut butter you're getting like 400 calories right there so things that you don't have to Mm -hmm. consume a lot of it in order for the calories to add up um so you want to look for things like that so things that are still in that healthy category but that you can easily incorporate into your diet without feeling like you're overeating or like stuffing yourself. Yeah. Um, that's the problem that a lot of people have when they're trying to gain mass. Um, cause a lot of people who are looking to gain mass would maybe consider themselves hard gainers. So they are naturally a little bit on the thinner side and they have a hard time putting on weight. Um, and a lot of times those types of people don't really feel like eating a ton. Like yeah. they're just like, I'm not hungry. So why would I eat? <laughs> um, so being able to do things like add peanut butter to a, to a shake or something like that, to a smoothie, yeah. um, or cook with a little bit more oil, um, things like that where you can just sneak in those extra calories is going to be helpful. Yeah. Um, also, so we talked about eating slowly. If you are somebody who gets full really fast and you're looking to gain mass, you might want to eat a little bit faster <laughs> um, because then you won't notice that you're full as fast. So you'll get in more calories before your body's like, bye, I'm full. <laughs> um, so yeah, eating faster would be another recommendation. 
Yeah, I mean, just doing that consistently, just over time, your body will naturally adapt and will want to um, just crave more of those resources, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, especially, I'm assuming this person is going to pair it with a lot of exercise and strength mm-hmm. training. And strength training and also just like endurance training in general will also pique someone's appetite as well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So trying not to, and like, Unlike a lot of people think uh, doing any form of cardio isn't going to like ruin your mass gains, so mm. don't be afraid of that, but also try to make sure that most of your exercise is in the weight training, strength training realm, because that's going to be where you actually put on muscle mass. Um, but if you enjoy things like running or swimming, anything like that, that's keep doing it if you enjoy it, because it's not going to take away from your uh, gains, but you do need to get some of that strength training in to actually really spark those, yeah. those muscle gains. Yeah, and then like some of the... Like, the- like we we talked about the six meals versus three meals, how six meals often leads to overeating. So you might want to think about eating six quote unquote smaller meals a day, but that might yield a greater caloric intake for that day. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, again, just kind of like flipping the switch from the uh, recommendations we made in our last last podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, we've <laughs> definitely like. I guess I would eat more for maintenance. I guess you and I both right now eat more for maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of have a like set when we, when I cook, I kind of know how much rice to put on Jason's plate versus mine, how much protein to put on his versus mine, how many vegetables. Um, but back in the day we were both kind of in opposite places where I was really focused on, on fat loss and you were actually more focused on muscle gain. Yep. And so I remember just like being so jealous how many carbs I would put on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> But like you just, if you're looking to gain mass, you also do need to have a lot more carbohydrates. Um, that's just, that's going to help. They sh- yep. they still should be again, like whole grains. They should still be good quality food, but you're just going to want to up the, up the carbs a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, at an extreme level, I know like bodybuilders will just put in several sweet potatoes into their shake. They'll just blend it all up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like, I know like extreme powerlifters and strongman competitors, they're like dousing their pizzas with olive oil and that's like the opposite extreme of like that's probably not the greatest quality to do (laughs) but these people just need that many calories just to sustain where they're even at right now so um yeah at a certain point quality might be sacrificed but for most people try to keep quality in mind yeah (laughs) yes cool so hopefully that helps as well uh and then we have our last questions it's kind of like bonus question Mm -hmm. uh this one's from jj petro and he asked, as trainers and business owners who are obviously experienced, what are some things that you still learn every day? We thought this was a cool question. Cool question. So we learn a lot every day. <laughs> um, no matter how, I think even the more experienced you get and the more you're like, the more you move up in your field, you realize how much you don't know that tends to be mm-hmm. like even early on as trainers that was one of our big things is like every seminar we went to we learned a lot but we also learned more about how much we didn't know <laughs> yeah. and so that's something that like every day we're like man there's so much more i could know about x and there's so much more i can know about y um so just keeping a learning mentality is i think really important and it's something that we try to really to do is make sure we're always keeping an open mind to things that might be changing in our industry, not being set in our ways in terms of the way we were taught is the only way that it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, the majority of our, I guess, learning is dedicated towards like the business side of things, yeah. right? So yeah. we, we look a lot towards people uh, like companies like Zappos and Amazon and Starbucks who are really at the forefront of each of their respective um industries so we'll we'll look to them 
will look to people like um, Gary Vaynerchuk or Lewis Howes or um, Andy Frazella, like all, all these people that are um, really leading the charge in terms of social media and marketing and branding, um, things like that. So we're looking more towards that. Um, and then from there, we all, we're also constantly learning from our coaches who are going out and learning a lot of the um, a lot of the more specialized like niche certifications out there. So things like um, like Ted just presented on um, Chris Henshaw's aerobic capacity workshop, yeah. which we thought was pretty fascinating. Um, and yeah, like Sarah will come back with um, mindset and communication type of um, notes that she has based on the research uh, she's been doing. And Maureen will talk about nutrition stuff. Um, uh, Emily works a lot with physical therapists and clinicians, and she'll come back with a lot of recovery strategies and different corrective drills that she's been learning. So we, we, we take away a lot um, from our coaches as well. Um, what we, I think, are have been good at is that because we've been doing it for so long, coaching, uh, I think it's like 11 years now, now we understand that when our coaches bring up very specialized things to us, we now have a good radar on how logistically it'll work out, especially in our setting. Mm -hmm. So we can be like, okay, um, so-and-so learned this thing. Um, would this apply in our setting? Because we are in a semi-private environment, we have X, Y, and Z equipment. Um, it is, will this be logistically feasible? And we can instantly kind of put that through our radar from our experience and uh, deem it whether it's worthwhile for our situation right now or not. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, learning from learning from our coaches, learning from our members, like mm, we just because yeah. they come in with all different things that they're dealing with in life and in general, and and we get to learn from them every day. I mean, we learn also just life skills from our members yeah. too. Like we <laughs> have so many. You'd be amazed at the the like vast array of types <laughs> of people that we have and achieve, and so like we have people who are literally rocket scientists and people who are doctors and people who are lawyers and astronomers people, astronomers yeah. and we have people who are just doing these amazing things in their lives and they're coming to us and we're teaching them how to squat and meanwhile they're like saving <laughs> lives and doing all these amazing things and so when we get to talk to them we're, we just get to learn it's really cool to be in a field where you can talk to so many people and meet so many people and learn about so many different um jobs and passions and just experiences, life experiences that are out there. And so I think that's something that as humans, we continue to get out of our job and our experience as well is just like really cool, well-rounded understanding of what's going on in the world and what's out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I distinctly remember, uh, uh, training my, um, this is actually my first client ever, um, from a Boston sports club 11 years ago. And, uh, he's still training with us at achieve and he's, he's very into investing and he's, it's been very successful at it, and I was just kind of pestering him with questions once I uh, figured that out, and once I figured that we should probably be investing and having <laughs> retirement accounts and stuff like that, and uh, just uh, we learned so so much from him basically, yeah. and that's just like a just a small example. There's just so many different cases where it's like, oh, this person is like at the top of their field in this thing, like we should probably pick their brains about whatever's going on in between sets of squats, and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, and, and for me, I guess I'm learning a lot about um, videography, and I know you're learning a lot, a lot about photography. photography like yeah. we're, um, and I guess like all this like audio stuff, we're getting a lot into the media side of things. And at this point, there's so much information out there that's readily available that you need to be 
consistently putting out content out there um, on a regular basis. Otherwise, you can kind of get just like lost in the sea of information out there. So we it became readily apparent that we couldn't just hire a videographer. We couldn't hire a photographer every single time we needed content. We needed to be proficient at it ourselves. So we made the investment in getting some better camera gear, some better microphones for the podcast. Um, but we think these are very um, worthwhile investments um, rather than spending the money to buy a camera to hire a videographer because um, like it's just not it wouldn't yield the consistency that we could do ourselves right because right? they could come in and do one or two videos for us and then we'd have to hire them again if we wanted to do something else yeah. whereas now we sit down like we'll be anytime our best brainstorming sessions are usually in car rides yeah it'll be like all right we should do this video about this and we should do it on tuesday we should do this video on this and we should do it on thursday and we get to decide when we want to film it when we want to yeah. like when we have time to do it we don't have to wait for somebody else to be available um for somebody to send it off and for somebody to edit it yeah um and i Obviously, it took a lot of time for us to learn some of these skills, especially Jason's been going very deep into the videography side of things, but it's been, it, it saved us so much money and time truly in, in yeah. the long run because now we can be on our own schedule. Yeah. And I mean, we kind of had to deal with um, not having a perfect product initially. The growing pains. Yeah. We put out, <laughs> I mean, our first five to 10 podcasts weren't. Uh, as great as we would have liked it to, and our first batch of videos were like. Now that we look back on it, we're like, oh man, these are these are not great. Maybe but. tomorrow we'll do a throwback Thursday of one of our <laughs> first videos because it's about a year ago, which is crazy because yeah. I feel like we've been doing it forever. But you would be, I mean, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's not embarrassing, good. but it's not because it got us to where we are. So when we mm-hmm. look at it, we're like, you know what? Okay, it's silly. Like it's kind of funny how how bad it was, but also like we couldn't have gotten to the point where we're comfortable talking to the camera and we're just we can just go out there and and or be on this podcast and not have to take notes we just kind of go with it we wouldn't have gotten to that point if we didn't put ourselves out there and be awkward at the beginning and just fumble our way through those first stages because that's how you have to do everything in life you have to do everything that way you start with sports you know i was a gymnast and the first three years of gymnastics is just running around and falling (laughs) (laughs) and like learning how to fall and do a backwards roll and like all these things that look ridiculous but you have to learn those things if you want to actually get to the next level so yeah just i think that's been a big learning thing too is just like don't be afraid of being bad at something because you have to be bad at something in the beginning if you ever want to be better at it yeah yeah there you go. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think the reason I think we've been good learners um, because we've been able to sort of set ego aside. I think a, a lot of times people get caught up in defending and debating rather than just kind of like learning, taking it in. And if it doesn't apply to your setting, then whatever. Then it's kind of like there's no need to be threatened by certain things out there and mm. stuff like that. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's about it. (laughs) Cool. That was a cool question. It made us reflect a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So if you guys could, uh, submit a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. Um, if you have any other questions, just DM us, um, at Achieve Fitness Boston on our Instagram channel. So I guess that about wraps it up. Cool. So until (laughs) next time, peace, love, and and muscles. muscles.